come before you in thankfulness for giving us your word, for giving us Jesus Christ, for giving us um, everything, Lord. For giving us your knowledge and wisdom of knowing who you are. Lord, we humbly come before you now and ask you that you speak to us, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears, and just open our hearts to receive your word right now. May we just, again, spend this time forgetting about um, the things that are outside these walls. And teach us, Lord. Teach us now. Fill us. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. And, and fill us now, Lord. Show us. what it means to be great, Lord, in your kingdom. What sacrificial service looks like, Lord. Thank you again for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, um, as I was preparing my study again, I wanted to, I was looking around the world and, and looking just what's been going on lately just everywhere and how hectic things have been for the past few weeks um, and what what I see a lot of is just a lot of self a lot of self-centeredness I mean yes there's a lot of anger but a lot of it has to do with a lot of this anger has to do with you know I'm not satisfied I'm not being fulfilled I'm not happy um, and Our message this morning has to do with a little bit of that. Um, it has to do actually with a lot about that. You know, the other thing I, I, I wanted to mention is that also we live in a society where a person's rank, status, um, position define who they are and how successful they become. Those who, decide, those who desire to reach the pinnacle of what they've dedicated themselves to will often do whatever it takes to get them there. Whether it's in the local church, or whether it's in a large corporation, or even in politics. The drive to get to the top will often mean that someone will get run over. Inspirational quotes like the one from the, great, from the late great coach Vince Lombardi, um, they often take quotes like this where he said, leaders are made, they're not born. They're made by hard effort, which is the price which all of us must pay to achieve the goal that is worthwhile. Those kind of quotes, they're, they're meant to be inspirational, but often they're distorted into something more nefarious. People take those quotes and say, well, I gotta do whatever, I gotta step on whoever I need to step on, I gotta um, destroy you know, whoever I need to destroy in order to get there, um, in order to become the greatest. And yes, that even happens in some churches. Um, there's a lot of politicking, there's a lot of arguing, there's a lot of um, bickering going on in the background. Um, and so, as a church, as a small church especially, we need to be aware that we need to be careful about that, we need to understand, and so that we don't fall into that same trap. Um, I've been having discussions with my wife about, you know, again, just lessons we've learned and, and what our heart is as we grow, as we grow here at, at Fresh Vision Church. 
But our story, in our story this morning, the, the behind-the-scenes disputes among the disciples of who among them would be the greatest finally boiled over when two well-known disciples came to Jesus with a request. The way Jesus responds to them and to the rest of the disciples reveal that among those who God, who God regards as the highest are those who are the lowest. What we'll come to discover in this morning's message is that as you are shaped into the, and molded into the image of Christ, the only thing that begins to matter is making this life less about you and more about others. So if you have, again, your Bibles with you, please turn um, your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and follow along as I read from beginning in verse 35. Mark chapter 10, we'll be starting in verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. And this is Jesus. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those who... Has, who those it has been prepared for. When the other ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who, regarded, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, on the contrary whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our passage this morning begins with James and John approaching Jesus and asking him to do something for them. Now, we have a similar um, passage in, in Matthew. In Matthew, I believe this is chapter 20. In his account of the story, we're told that the mother of James and John actually came before Jesus, knelt before him, and made this request. Now, most scholars believe that Mark intentionally removed this detail because it had become obvious that James and John persuaded their mother to make this request on their behalf. And Mark, and so Mark just didn't want to implicate her. You know, she was just um, used, and it's sad when kids do that to their parents, but um, she was just used as an instrument by, by James and uh, Mark, I'm sorry, James and John, to speak for them, to make this request. So Jesus, that's why he didn't want to implicate her. So Jesus uh, says, what do you want me to do for you? And this was Jesus' way of asking them to be specific without necessarily committing himself. And then in verse, in verse 37, it tells us that, that they were requesting the privileged places at Jesus' right and left hands in his coming kingdom. 
I believe this request is ultimately the result of something the disciples continually discussed among themselves. Back in chapter 9, verses 33 and 34, they talked about which one among them was the greatest. It appears now, rather than just talking about it, James and John wanted to ensure that it was going to be them. Now, again, New Testament scholars are divided on whether, on whether James and John were referring to um, an earthly kingdom that they wanted Jesus to establish upon his arrival in Jerusalem, or whether they were speaking about Jesus' eternal kingdom. In either case, they wanted Jesus to grant them those top two positions that, they, that held the highest honors. In those times, again, the person on the right was the right-hand person and would offer advice and, and give, um, share, you know, the per, the, the, usually the leader, the king, or whoever it may be, would listen to the person on their right, whereas the person on the left would be doing most of the administrative stuff. Um, so those were the two highest positions, and they wanted them really bad. You see, the common belief at that time, and, I, and it's still a, a common belief today, is that a person's identity is largely dependent on the positions they, they held in society that they were a part of. Their identity, that was who they identified as. That was a big part of who they were. Whatever they were doing at that time, whether it was a shoemaker or whether it was um, a Pharisee or whether it was a king, that was a big part of their identity, the position they held. So, in anticipation, they began jockeying ahead of the other disciples for those coveted spots. It didn't, and the funny thing is, it didn't matter to them that Jesus had just told them in verse 34, you know what, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed there. They, it, it just went past them, it went over their heads. And also, on, in verse 31, he said that in the age to come, the first would be last and the last would be first. Again, they just it went over their heads. They didn't un understand what Jesus was talking about. What had become clear was that they still hadn't grasped, grasped the deeper truths Jesus was trying to teach them about the things that mattered most to God. You see, that spiritual light bulb still hadn't clicked on. Or if it was on, it wasn't burning at its brightest. It was still, they had Jesus and he was teaching things and they were starting to see this world, starting to understand things a little bit more clearly. But that light bulb, that spiritual light bulb hadn't clicked on yet. I think there are a lot of good Christians who come to God in prayer in a very similar way. For example, I found a funny prayer. Here's a funny prayer I read this week. Let me share it with you guys. It's called the Warrior's Prayer. It says, Dear Lord, help me relax about insignificant details. Beginning tomorrow at 7.41 and 23 seconds in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Help me to consider people's feelings, even if most of them are hypersensitive. Help me to take responsibility for the consequences of my actions, even though they're not usually my fault. Help me not to try to run, run everything, but if you need some help, please feel free to ask me. Help me to be more laid back and help me, not, and help me to do it exactly right. 
help me to, to take the things help me to take things more seriously especially laughter parties and dancing give me the patience i mean right now help me not be a perfectionist did i spell that correctly help me to finish everything step help me from <laughs> help me for help me to keep my mind on one thing oh look a bird at a time help me to do what i can and trust me for the rest and would you mind putting that in writing keep me open to others ideas misguided though they may be help me to follow established procedures hey wait this is wrong help me to slow down and not rush through what i what i do thank you lord amen <laughs> You may not necessarily pray like this, but many times our prayers are not far from sounding like this. Let me ask you, have you examined the requests you make to God? Do you only pray and worship in order to get something? Or do you pray and worship to praise God, to thank Him? Now, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with asking God for things. But again, what are the reasons? What are the intentions behind those prayers? It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, no one should seek his own good, but the good of another person. There are some who come to God as if he were a magic genie that they can summon to fulfill their desires by granting the wishes of their heart. They come to him with requests that sound more like demands rather than the petitions of the heart. Again, let me ask you, do you know the difference between a demand and a petition? You see, demands tend to focus on our own, not, on our own needs and wants, whereas petitions are humble requests that focus on the glory of God and the needs of our neighbor before our own. If you desire to mature, if you desire to grow in your faith, be mindful of how you approach God with those requests. Ask yourself, ask yourself, is this for myself so that I can brag, so that I can say, look, this is what the Lord, this is like me, look, this is what the Lord has blessed me with and, and is, you know, so you can brag to others about it? Or is this request being made so that God gets all the credit and so that others may glorify him when he does answer it? And many times, personally, again, I've, you know, I've prayed for things and, and I've made that same mistake. Just saying, yeah, look, you know, God's you know, answered my prayer and, and look what I have now. You know, I have this and I have that and, you know, but... It was never any, it, I never really gave him the credit for answering those, those prayers. Again, I wanted people to, to look at me rather than to look at God. And that's how we, we, we need to keep that in mind as we, as we pray for things, as we ask, as we come before God, is this for myself or is this, again, so that others may glorify him when he does answer it? So now let's look at Jesus' response to them. In verse 38, this is how Jesus responds. You don't know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus knew that James and John didn't understand all the implications of what they were requesting from him or what they were requesting of him. You see, the only thing about the kingdom of God, you see, the only thing they were thinking about was the kingdom of God through a worldly perspective, through a perspective that was only beneficial to them. Jesus realized they had no idea what it would tr- what to, what it would take to truly be great in that kingdom. So what does Jesus do? In order to bring out their faulty ideas, he asked them a question using two metaphors to help them understand that what he was about to experience what he was about to go through, they too would have to undergo if they wished to become great in the kingdom of God. First, he asked them, are you able to drink the cup I drink? Now here, he wasn't referring to any old cup that they commonly shared drinking from. No, he was. this is the cup. He was referring to the cup of death that he would agonize about later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he asked, or to be be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. He wasn't referring to the baptism he received from John the Baptist. He was referring to being flooded with the fury of God, with the wrath of God, when the sins of the world were going to be placed upon him on the cross. So how did they respond? Did they get it? Did they understand what what Jesus was saying here? No, they, they, with their casual, with a casual response, they said, yeah, we're able, we're able. And again, that indicates that they clearly didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. If they had, Jesus wouldn't have needed to inform them in the following verse that one day they would indeed have to suffer. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. They didn't know it at that particular time. But both James and John would eventually suffer greatly for Christ and the gospel. According to Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, James was the first apostle to be martyred. And according to tradition, John survived an attempted murder by immersion in a vat of burning oil. Also, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, John wrote that he was exiled to the island of Patmos because of the gospel. What we see in verse 41 was Jesus' clear, honest, and truthful answer to their original question. He essentially tells them that granting kingdom positions was not his to give, but was his heavenly father's. Only God, only God the Father knows the reasons why he assigns places and positions of authority. It's nothing that we do, it's nothing that we say, God grants them. He's the one who knows. He knows where, where you'll be in his kingdom, and he knows exactly what you're going to be doing. 
it's not, it's not up to us. It's not up to, um, I can't stand here and say, you know what, in God's kingdom, you know, you're going to be in charge of the governor of Hawaii or whatever, you know, I mean, you know, he will assign whatever he wants to do. He will assign you wherever he wants you to be because he has a purpose and there's a reason why he picks you specifically for those positions. With this in mind, to what extent, and this is, a, this is one of those hard questions, to what extent are you willing to suffer for Christ and the gospel? Would you be willing to endure the same intense suffering and persecution the, apostle in, the apostles endured against the enemies of the gospel? Are you willing to endure the hardships we read Paul had to suffer for Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to risk your life like the countless of Christians, like countless of Christians have done, to plant spiritual seeds in hostile places? I know these are difficult questions, and I ask myself these same questions. Am I willing, if I desire, like Jesus said, if I desire to be great, if I desire those top positions, if, you know, if that's what I really desire, am I willing to do this? Am I willing to suffer in the same way Jesus suffered? The thing is, and, and this is what he's, again, trying to say, holding a religious position or church title doesn't make you great in the kingdom of God. Now, I, I, I want to be clear. I mean, what this passage is talking about, is it, it's not talking about positions in your jobs or, you know, careers, whatever it is you're doing. I mean, you know, if, if a, a career advancement or a higher position comes up, you know, if God opens the door and take it. You know, he might use you in that position for something else. What we're talking about here, what Jesus is saying here is among the body, among believers, among each other, titles, positions, it's irrelevant to him. You know, just because I'm up here teaching doesn't, make, doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm holding a greater position in God's kingdom. No, this is what I'm called to do. This is what he's called me to do and I'm just being obedient I'm just being faithful you know if he's called some of you just you know to be greeters at a church or to you know work in the background you know cleaning restrooms that's fine you're being obedient to what he's called you to do see being great in God's kingdom requires you to be willing to sacrifice everything about yourself for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, I know this burden may seem heavy um, and maybe overwhelming, but don't be discouraged. You can begin by making personal sacrifices now, now, like doing the by doing maybe some of the following. And these are just a few examples. I mean, this list can go on and on that you can sacrifice your time. If you've got a really busy schedule, sacrifice some of that time. Only you know those, those blocks of period where you can be like, okay, well I can, you know, I, I can give that up. Even though I may hurt, I can give that up and just spend time in prayer and meditation. 
also you can look for ways and opportunities to, to serve the church. You know, there we we may be small here, but I mean there's still little things and ways that you know, little things you, you can do to, to to sacrifice some time and help out. I mean again it's just this is up to you. This is you know, again, this isn't being forced or upon you. Another thing you can do is sacrifice your comfort. Share the gospel. You can share the gospel through word and deed with those around you and in your sphere of influence. Again, that make, makes some people uncomfortable. And again, I'm not, I'm not one to say it's you've got to go out there at your works or your schools or whatever and preach the gospel. No, preaching the gospel is also living your life like the gospel. Being, acting right and, and making the right choices and decisions and not being part of the worldly crowd. And if then, if people begin to ask you, why aren't you doing what everyone else is doing? Then, maybe the, God will open up the door. Maybe that's when God opens the door for you to share why you believe or why you have the faith that you have. You can also... Um, what I'm saying here, don't be afraid to speak out against the injustice, oppression, and, persecu and persecution of your Christian brothers and sisters here and abroad. A lot of people just like to be quiet and say, you know what, I'm not going to involve myself. I'm not going to speak out against it. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to argue. But again, you're... you're there's a tendency to stay in your little comfort zone and not speak out against the wrongs that are being committed against your fellow brothers and Christ, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If you saw somebody hurting a family member, if you saw someone, you know, really oppressing or causing injustice to someone you really love would you say anything would you speak up would you or would you stay quiet we have there are, we have so many brothers and sisters not just again here in the united states but just everywhere around the world who are being oppressed who are being enslaved literally enslaved and a lot of times church just stays quiet oh we don't want to cause problems we don't want to you know I don't want to have any arguments or discussions if you would do it if you would speak out against someone that's hurting or oppressing a family member that you love you should ought to be able to do it for your brothers and sisters in Christ as well who share with you who are going to be with you in God's kingdom Another thing you can do is sacrifice financially and, and, and materially. Find worthy causes to give and support. You know, I know I personally, um, two of the two organizations that, that, I, um, that I support personally are, are the Voice of the Martyrs. And I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they, um, 
these, this is an organization that um, passes out Bibles or gives Bibles to those areas and to those people that are in really hostile areas. Um, they're, they're a big group. I mean, if you want more information, um, just check out their website, Voice of the Martyrs. But also, I also support International Justice, um, I believe it's ministry, it's called IJM. And they provide legal help to those who have been wronged in, in these third world countries. And what I mean by wrong is if they've been enslaved and are trying to find that freedom, those who have been um, legal services, those who have been human, have been trafficked um, for you know, crazy reasons. Um, and those who have had property lands stolen by the government or by just really, by people who have been oppressing them. Now again, this is just what I, you know, for me, those, those ones touch me the most. You know, human trafficking is, is, is a big one for me and I, I really feel strongly that, that needs to, we need to speak out against that. But again, that's, I don't want to stay silent. I don't want to, you, you know, again, God may be calling you to support something else. Again, you can financially support these groups. Also, you can look for places and people. You know that all that junk you have that you just don't use anymore, whether it's a vacuum or a TV or a computer that's just sitting there and you're just like, oh, I'm saving it for, you know, some special reason or as my backup or whatever. And it's been sitting there for five, ten years or whatever. You know, um, you can donate these things, you know, to someone who needs it. Instead of just throwing them out or keeping them in the storage, there may be an organization, again, a, a small local nonprofit group here in the city, in the area, that may need, you know, a vacuum, an iron, a, you know, a computer, a TV. Hoard these things. Don't keep them all to yourself. I mean... Again, you have new, new stuff. I mean, I, and, and you know, I, I recently got a new tablet, the old one I have. Um, I told myself I was gonna use it as, as a backup, but it's been sitting there now for like since Christmas. So, you know, again, I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do with that. And that's what I mean, you just, there's things out there. You know, share it. Give it away instead of throwing it away. But this is the thing, keep in mind, Keep in mind that it's, it is, it's always going to be easy to share things and to give things and to, to sacrifice certain things when it doesn't hurt. The point of sacrificially giving is to give until it hurts. Until you feel that pinch like, ah, if I give this, you know, $5, I'm not going to have that McDonald's Happy Meal I usually get at the store next week or on Monday or whatever it may be, you know, um, again, it's, it's that, sac that sacrificial giving is giving until you feel that pain, that hurt, like, oh my goodness, if I give this away, it's, you know, I don't know, it's gonna, it's too sentimental. You know? Be aware though, that sacrificial giving also is an excuse to act irresponsibly. I'm not gonna go out and, and give all February, February's mortgage money you know, to 
an organization and just have, you know, my wife and my kids next to you know, we're falling behind our mortgage payments, you know, um, again, be responsible. That's again part of our Christian duty is to you know be responsible, pay our bills. Don't um, don't get don't be too get too much into 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 debt. Again, being responsible. Another important um, point Jesus is making in our passage here is in addition to rewards, and we talked about rewards last week. But God is currently preparing positions of authority for His people. In his kingdom. Yes, salvation is a free gift from God, but those rewards and positions depend on what we're doing right now. If you're currently living to get more prestige, prominence, power, toys, and trinkets, then your life will be consumed on trying to attain them now. That's what your life is going to be about. How am I going to get more stuff, more toys, and more power? That satisfaction is never, that hunger is never satisfied. But Jesus desires that we not focus on temporal, on the temporal and physical, but focus instead on the eternal and spiritual. And again, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, I'm not doing what I do in this pulpit to get more rewards or to receive a better spot than you in God's kingdom. I'm here because God's called me to do this. And I want to be obedient to him regardless of the cost. Even if it means it'll cost me my life. This is what God is calling me to do. And I want to be obedient to that up until my final breath. If your main focus is glorifying God through your obedience, the last thing that will concern you are the future rewards and positions. Well, as we see in verse 42, the other disciples got pretty mad. They got pretty upset with James and John because of their selfish request. And it was obvious that the unity of the disciples had become strained. So what does Jesus do? He calls them all over. He brings them all in. They have a huddle. And he continues teaching them another important lesson on what it takes to become great. He begins by reminding him, reminding them of, of a familiar fact. The gentle, gentile authorities, and in this case it was the Roman Empire, tend to misuse their power and authority. They are willing to serve, they're they unwilling to serve anyone but themselves, and had no sense of responsibility. Jesus tells them, but it must not be like that among you. In other words, as my disciples, you shouldn't be acting like this. You shouldn't be acting this way. You ought to be acting the opposite of that. So this is what he basically tells them in verses 43 and 44. If you want to be great, you must be small. If you want to be raised up, you must be among the lowest. If you want to rule, you must serve. The fundamental principle Jesus is teaching here is that leaders ought to view themselves as slaves. And not just leaders. And again, he's talking to his disciples, but when it comes to us, it's his people. 
as Christians. We ought to view ourselves as slaves, serving one another in spite of ourselves, in spite of what's important to us in our own you know, selfishness and self-centeredness. It's seeing the other person more important than ourselves. This, this here is the ethic of Jesus. This is what, how he came. This is how he served. This is how he lived. He sacrificed himself for us. And in the same way, we ought to sacrifice ourselves for others. And then finally, in verse 45, using the title Son of Man to refer to himself, Jesus continues to teach them that this is what he himself has been exemplifying to them and will continue to exemplify in his final days leading to his crucifixion. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to share with you something interesting I read this week of what a beautiful display of a beautiful display, uh, what a beautiful display of servanthood looks like. And it's from a book I've been reading called um, God, Called to Be God's Leader, um, Lessons from the Life of Joshua. It's by Henry Blackaby and Richard Blackaby. I've been reading this with a few of the other guys um, in a group I'm, I'm involved with. And I read this and I was like, man, this is a, again a perfect picture, a good picture of what servanthood looks like. It says here, one of the primary reasons for the heralded success of Queen Elizabeth I was her chief counselor, Sir William Cecil. He served her with a devotion and efficiency for most of his adult life. Their relationship has been described as one of the most remarkable relationships in English history. Even when he was elderly and dying, the queen could not do without him. Now, 78, he was white-haired and shrunken, but still in harness, but still in harness because the queen, having relied on him for over half a century, would not let him resign, even though she knew he was deaf in constant pain with gout and could barely hold a pen. As Cecil languished, the famous monarch spoon-fed him his meals and cared for him until his death. Such was her indebtedness to her loyal servant. As God's people, we ought to emulate Jesus Christ. He says, John says in 1 John, or it says in John in 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. But here's, but here's the thing. In order to walk with him, you must begin by following him. The more you follow him, the more you will begin to copy him. The more you copy him, the more you will be like him. And as you become more like him, the only thing that will begin to matter is making this life less about you and more about others. You'll stop focusing, you'll stop just focusing on, on, man, I need this new car, and man, I need this you know, new watch, or this new, um, I need to get a higher paying job, or whatever. Again, uh, use wisdom and, and, and discernment, but especially here, 
in the church, your own titles, your own positions, and what you're doing should matter less. Would matter less. And all you're doing is, is it's all about serving others. Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in love. As the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. What Jesus wants us to understand as his followers, don't look to attain prestigious titles and important positions among each other. Instead, look for ways to lovingly and sacrificially serve one another. Even if what's being asked of you seems beneath you. There are far too many people in the church who would rather be seen and known as a VIP, as someone important, as someone, hey, look at me, I'm the pastor, I'm the assistant pastor, I'm the deacon, I'm the bishop, I'm the whatever title, whatever position are out there. We'd rather be seen and known to have those positions than to be seen picking up trash, cleaning bathrooms, changing nursery diapers, working a food pantry or even feeding the homeless. I know people, I know there's churches out there. And you look at the pastor and you ask, you know, can I see him changing a diaper? Can I see him out there feeding the homeless? Can I see him out there you know, cleaning toilets if he needed to? Fortunately, there are some that just wouldn't because again, those things are beneath them. I'm so-and-so of this church and you know, that's beneath me. Other people can take care of it. But I've also seen pastors, I've also seen, that aren't afraid that just will go, they see a piece of trash on, on the ground outside their church parking lots or a piece of gum, they'll pick it up and throw it away. Go and no one's available to clean the bathrooms. Go and clean the bathrooms. Those people that are doing those things out of service, out of the heart, I believe, and I think what we'll be seeing here, will have better positions, higher rewards than those who are in positions and just want to be known as VIPs. And it's actually, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were even some pastors who would decline preaching a Bible to a handful of people because it would damage their reputation. If I asked a pastor from a church that maybe had 1,000, 2,000, maybe even 300, 400 people in there, I said, hey, can you come and teach over here? And you know, emergency came up. And I'd be like, ah, you know, I'm used to teaching the groups of bigger groups. Ken, what does that tell you? What are they doing it for? Jesus said it must not be like that among you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Greatness in God's view is your willingness to serve whenever it's asked of you or when it's presented before you. And then he says whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. The word slave in the Greek is the word doulos. And it has a, 
And I encourage you, do a, do a uh, word search. I think there's even a book called Dulos. I forgot who the author was. But it's an amazing book. But here, in the way Jesus is using it, it has a different meaning than the word servant. Here, it means being devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interest. So what Jesus is saying, that if you have a desire to lead from the front, if you have a desire to, to be known, to be first, you must be willing to disregard your own self-seeking interest for the benefit of another to extend and advance the cause of Jesus Christ. You must make yourself as a slave. It's not about you. It's about the other person. And you know what? We have no better example of what that servanthood and devotion looks like than in Jesus Christ, who it says in, in Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 5, he, who didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of suffering who knew what sickness was, he was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our I'm sorry, transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. As I conclude, as I finish here, our passage this morning is meant to teach us two important lessons. Lesson number one, those who desire to be great in God's kingdom must be willing to endure suffering. And lesson number two, those who desire to be great must be willing to disregard their own self-seeking interest and instead be willing to serve others in love. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. You see, in this world, in the kingdom of this world, in order to be great, you must be willing to do whatever it takes to get to the top. In order to be the greatest of all time, you got to step on others, you got to ruin careers, you know, scratch and claw your way to the top. That's how you become great in this, in this world. But in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, among the highest is the lowest. As we now shift our minds for communion, the elements you'll be receiving are a reminder of how Jesus sacrificed himself for us. The cup represents the death he suffered on the cross. And the bread represents his body that took on the full wrath of God when all the sins of the world were placed upon him. Now before I pass these elements around, keep in mind that Jesus intended communion to be taken by those who understand its significance. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, in a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do so. 
Now, after that prayer, I will pass around these elements. But before we all take them together, before I, I, I share with you um, what, what Jesus said, I'm going to give you a minute. We're going to spend about a minute or two just in, in, in silent prayer. Again, just to prepare your hearts for communion. In order to understand again the significance and what it means and what he did for you, the sacrifice he made for you. You know, and then ask yourself again, am I willing to do the same for others? And then afterwards we'll we'll close with a final prayer. So let's let's pray and, and afterwards I'll pass around the elements. If it, <sighs> Lord God, I ask you right now that you touch every person's heart that's either listening to this or watching this, Lord, and convict them, Lord. Tell them, show them that they need you. Show them that without you, there are no answers. I mean, without, with, with you, they can have all the answers, Lord. Lord, there are some who are suffering, there are some who are hurting, and they've come to their, their wit's end and are willing and wanting to surrender now to you. And if that's you, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just in the quietness of your heart, just pray this. Forgive me, Father, for my sins. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he took away all my sins on that cross. Lord, I accept that forgiveness and I ask right now that you give me the strength to walk as Jesus walked. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may be a good example to others around me. Thank you for, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. And thank you for, for Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross for me. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.